To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on Dave Mercado. Uh, so I've been doing these podcasts lately and bringing in a different perspective. And so I did elk challenges with Austin Bell, mule deer challenges with Michael Chan, and this one's along those same lines. Uh, Dave reached out and, and uh, said he's been working hard and grinding to try to kill his first bull and talks about some of the challenges he's had and, and some of his experiences. And so it made for a, a super interesting conversation and um, then Dave at the end tells this wild story about, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but he has this accident and then trying to handle that situation when, uh, you know, it, it's really serious and life's on the line and uh, uh, have to make the right decisions. And then he, he talks about, uh, you know, getting back to hunting after that. It's just this wild story. So uh, made for an interesting conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will, too. I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank MAF, so Mountain Archery Fest. Uh, these are these events uh, where you do 3D shoots, and nothing gets me ready for the mountains and hunting season like these 3D shoots. Uh, it's just real-life practice on steep hillsides, 3D targets, which I think is so important, and, and MAF puts on these events. So they've got uh, three of these. They call them mini MAF events, so they're indoor events. Uh, they've got one coming up April 10th and 11th in Colorado. It's in uh, Hes Hesperus, Colorado. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get, uh, I'm gonna mess up the pronunciations again. But yeah, if you're around that area in Colorado, April 10th and 11th, uh, they have one April 17th and 18th in Reno, Nevada. I can pronounce that. Thanks for that location. Uh, and, and then they also have their MAF festivals they're putting on this year. And there's just no better way to spend a weekend. I mean, these are a whole event. Um, they have uh, film night. Uh, they have Pope and Young Pint Night they put on. Uh, they have uh, a vendor village, seminars, elk calling competitions, uh, free kids course. So you can take the whole family to these events. And then as far as the 3D shoot, uh, they have multiple different courses that they design that are based on different skill levels. And so you can find the right course for yourself, challenge yourself, probably break a few arrows, which is always good. But it, it's just a really good practice before season gets here. They also have uh, the one and only that Pope and Young world record course. Uh, so archers get to shoot like the 3D targets that are replicas built to the world record. And then you get to shoot the exact same shot that that hunter took. And so, you know, they, they have boards up that you can read about the trophy and then, um, and then shoot that, that animal. So super cool what they're putting on. And, and like I say, these 3d shoots, nothing gets me ready for season like these. They're, they're just in real life conditions with, with winds and in uneven footing, real 3d targets, uh, sticks and limbs in the way, uphill, downhill. It's just uh, nothing gets me ready for hunting season like these. So make sure to check out their their MAF festivals. Uh, you can check it out at mountainarcheryfest.com. 
Uh, but they're going to have um, at least three events. I think they're going to have four. They're still trying to work on the booking, but uh, they're going to have uh, another one down in uh, Durango, Colorado, uh, Beaver, Utah, Huntsville, Utah, and then um, stay tuned and we'll let you know the other ones. They get lined up, but um, just a great shoot and a great company. Thanks to MAF. I also want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Uh, so Sig Sauer Optics is just building great optics. Uh, you may have heard my podcast recently where I got on there and I, I was just so impressed with the 15s by 56s and, and so impressed with the 11 by 45s, those Zulu 9s, just their optical performance and, and their value they bring to the market holding up to all these top brands. Uh, I also really like their spotting scope, uh, 27 by 55 uh, by 80 mil objective lens. The thing is just so crisp and so clear. So I love to have this full optic kit for whatever hunt I'm going on. And uh, it, it really helps turning up opportunities. And um, so, yeah, like those 15s, man, they um, turned up opportunities for me and my buddies this year. So nice to add that to the kit. And then the best rangefinders in the market. I like their handheld rangefinder. They also have their binocular rangefinder. And then they also have their rifle scopes. So I'm going to be setting up a, a new rifle here. Um, Savage is going to be a sponsor of the podcast. And so I'd like to do a build and just get familiar with this BDX system that can talk to your scope, to your phone, to your rangefinder uh, to figure out your exact hold on critters. So super cool, that BDX system. So if you're in the market for some new optics, make sure to check out Sig Sauer. And with that, just rolling into spring here. Um, bear season's about 15 days away, uh, 10 days away. Actually, the days are clicking off quick. It's um, the fifth today when I'm getting this podcast all ready to go. But yeah, getting super excited for that. Uh, just getting in all that training, um, you know, the running, the shooting, uh, really working on my mindset, mental edge. Um, man, it's just super fun. Uh, applying for all these tags, hopefully going to get some of those. And um, I'm going to put out a, a another solo podcast here that'll release on Friday. And I'm also going to film that one for YouTube. So we have a new channel on YouTube. And, um, you know, I can't film every episode. And a lot of that, uh, you know, the, the filming... Um, you know, as, as far as like guests and things of that nature, like a, uh, my number one thing is to have good audio on this podcast. And so like we're just finding a way to integrate that into the podcast. But I'm going to film that solo and put that out. I filmed one with Ike. Um, so you guys can check those out on YouTube as well. And uh, man, with that, let's get into this podcast. Um, so Dave Mercado, uh, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Hey guys, I just wanted to add, I had a promo code for MAF. So if you put in Elevated21 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So now let's get into the show. Right on. Okay, so I got my new friend Dave on the line. So Dave brings an interesting perspective to the podcast. So I thought this was great. He reached out to me in a message and, and told me that... You know, he's, he's been working so hard towards success and hasn't seen it yet and, and lives and resides in Wyoming. And, and go ahead, Dave, like give a little background to your story for the podcast listeners. Yeah, sure. So I'm a, I'm a Wyoming native, you know, born and raised here. Um, I've, I've literally um, – I grew up hunting with, with my dad. My dad was a hardcore hunter. 
So, I mean, when I say hunting, hunting from diapers, I literally, I literally got pictures of me in diapers at hunting camp, you know? So I, I, I grew up with it. Um, and I, I grew up hunting with my dad all over, most of the time just here in Wyoming. Um, and I, I hunt elk, I hunt deer, hunt antelope. And, um, one of the deals was, man, is I, I grew up hunting with my dad and then, um, uh, my dad ended up retiring. So what he did when he retired is he moved back to Arizona. And when you grow up, you know, you're so used to going and, and I have other friends like this too, but like they mainly just go hunting with, with their family, like something like your dad. So I was so used to hunting with my dad that when my dad left with the snap of a finger like that, I was on my own and had to learn everything by myself and um i don't have a whole lot of, of of hunting buddies but this was just something that um you know hunting's always been my thing that i've that i've had the a passion for and an ambition for and so um you know i i really got back into the hardcore bow hunting and archery um about six years ago where i was just consistently working at it and um so you know, my, my story kind of starts in, in 2016 and, um, I've been working every year to get, uh, me and also who hunts with me is, um, is my lady, my wife, my wife, Trudy, she's a, she's a super awesome girl, but we've basically been on this journey together. Um, so we both every, every year we go hunting, we go, we go together and, uh, she's with me every step of the way. And basically since 2016, we've been trying to get a bowl down with the bow and um haven't had success but um i mean we get close every year it's not like we're not getting on bulls but uh we're getting close man so that's that's my story i'm i'm just a guy I'm a regular old guy from wyoming and uh who's just trying to get that first bull down brian yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think there's so many guys like you out there that are really working hard towards their goals and haven't seen that success yet. And, and um, you know, in today's day and age on social media, like we were talking before the podcast, like we, we see everybody's successes and, and some guys almost make it look easy year after year, you know, and, and, right. and me included. It seems like every hunt I go on, I have a successful photo when I come back. But like I always say on the podcast, man, it's like – to be successful with a bow and arrow out there on public ground is like one of the the, the toughest challenges you can take on, and, and especially a public land bowl. Like I remember when I started as well, and um, you know I'd moved to Montana from the Pacific Northwest, and and it had a little bit of success here and there, but but really was starting over kind of like you. I'd always hunted with family, and I'd always hunted. Uh, uh, thick underbrush and alder slides and um, yeah. you know my family's motto was always to beat the brush and it it maybe wasn't the smarter the smartest move but we always worked really hard at it we were always in the brush and, and looking to try to kill a blacktail instead of driving the roads or uh, uh, sitting over clear cuts which may have been the smarter move by the way <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah same thing where I kind of had to start over and figure it out and it took years to find success and then to find consistent success and then to keep raising that bar and trying to shoot a mature bowl. Um, so I'm with you. I mean, there's there's a reason like you look at the success odds and in my state of Montana, you know, it's six percent success odds on elk with a bow. And that's not even bulls with a bow. That's just elk, cow or a bull. 
And right. um, so, you know, bull success is around 3 or 4% with the bow and arrow. Well, that's, you know, you break that down, that's once every 20 years. So, oh. like, it's really building this skill set and this, this comfort level with hunting elk, you know, to where you can buck those odds and, and start being successful, you know, every year or uh, every other year or just finding that success. And, and for me, it, like, it really took, um, like, like just a... Uh, you know, well, I'm I'm going back a ways. So um, you were talking in Wyoming, like you guys have been able to find elk and be on elk and chase elk. So that's one of the biggest hurdles with elk is putting yourself in a good elk area and then getting on the elk and giving yourself opportunity. It sounds like you guys have been doing that and um, probably even more and more so as the years go on, like you're getting better and better at it, I would imagine. Yeah, Brian. So um you know, and, and, and back to what you said a little bit about, you know, you, you see a lot, you see all every year, you know, people, um, you see guys posting on social media with a, you know, a bull year after year, a big bull, the grip and grins and stuff. And, and the thing about being successful, man, is I, I'm not a negative guy. You know, I'm not a hateful guy. I'm not a hater at all. But like when you've had, when you've put everything in and, you know, busted your, busted your ass trying to get a bull year after year and then and then you see and then you you log on to you log on to facebook and you see a guy and you see a post with a gripper grin of a guy's fourth bull of the year in the fourth state it's like what am i doing wrong here um so yeah man it, it it's um you you want to be it it's like after without success and trying so hard it's um it you want to stay positive but it is frustrating and and how i get to frustration man is um is like like you said brian um it's not that we're not finding elk so basically how it started with me i'll i'll start with back when i first my first year uh 2016 when um when I decided um, I really want to get back into this and um, I didn't have nobody to go with, you know, it was just like, Hey, why can't I get out there on a general season tag, go into a general area and, and, and start hunting and try and find some elk. Um, and so Brian, the way I was raised a lot, I'm sure a lot of guys have the same similar story being raised with um, the, the older generation, you know, my my dad was a great hunter he he is a great hunter he killed a lot he's killed a lot of bulls but their style of hunting was was the was the old school basically rifle october hunting and um a big huge big huge base camp and the hunt kind of more seemed more about the camaraderie and having a big nice camp and you get a hunting in the morning and then you get a hunting in the evening and some years some years you fill your tag some years you don't it was never you know the hunting that we, we see now and the hunting that i want to do where it's basically all about the hunt you're going in there solo your your camping you know where your camp is on your back you're doing everything it's all about you know trying trying to be successful trying to get your kill so in, in 2016, um, I basically, you know, I didn't have a lot of money then I was, I was, uh, in between jobs, but all I, right. I didn't have nothing, you know, cause uh, now I have all kinds of elk hunt and stuff. I'm good to go. But when, when you first get back into it, you know, I literally had nothing. I didn't even have a truck, Ran. I had a, uh, I had a muscle car back then. I had, a, it was brand new. It was a pretty sweet ride. It was a, it was a 2000. 
It was a 2015 uh, Chevy Camaro Super Sport rear-wheel drive. That's all I had, Brent. I didn't have no truck, but that wasn't going to stop me. I took that thing. Um, I've taken that thing a lot of places. but So I didn't have a vehicle. I, I didn't have a backpack. I didn't have a water filter. I didn't have none of that. So what? I didn't know nothing about lightweight, but I knew I wanted to go. So I bought you know, a heavy tent, just a regular tent, um, a sleeping bag, and I didn't know nothing about water filters. So I stuffed like, you know, six, all, you know, those little Walmart, uh, you can get the cases of water. I stuffed like six or seven in there. <laughs> I took cans of soup and ramen noodles and all stuffed them in this backpack. And what I did is, um, you know, this is a general, so I, I don't care about I'm saying it. But so what I did is I drove up to the uh, in Wyoming, the Togwitty Pass area, just uh, just a little bit above Dubois. There's a main highway there. And I thought, you know, I'm like, all this area is just completely general area. So, I mean, why can't I just park on the side of the road right here and hike over this mountain and just start just start hunting? And I'm not going to come back until I got something. So I found a little pull off area. I grabbed my 200-pound backpack and uh, grabbed my bow and just started walking. I'm like, I'm going to start walking over this over this uh, here ridge, and I'm just going to start hunting. Well, Brian, I made it probably about, oh, 300 yards, and I was out of breath, just couldn't breathe, just like, <sighs> <sighs> I'm like, oh, man, I got to rethink this. And then it started raining real bad. So um, on that first on that first trip, I went back. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, that's another cool thing. I was sitting there underneath this tree. It's raining on me. I'm out of breath, trying to think of what I'm going to do. I didn't want to give up. And here comes this big, huge bull moose um, walking across walking across the highway, right, walking right up towards me. So I, I, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But um, anyway, so what happened is after that, I, um, I went and picked a different area. I drove down the road just about um, – Oh, I'd say about two miles, and I found another pull-off, and um, I pulled off. I grabbed my bow, and I had, had, you know, this is, you know, if you're familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with the above Dubois area, Togwitty Pass area, but, you know, it is a grizzly area, so I, I did have I did have protection. But, so, just right before you get to, like, the Turpin Meadows um, pull-off area, or the Turpin Meadows area, I pulled off, and um, I started hiking just right there from the highway and I was hiking, I was hiking East and Brian, I probably made it about 30 yards before I started uh, smelling a real musky weird smell and it was raining. Um, and I had that, I had that gut feeling that something was, something was near me, but um, I thought maybe an, an elk was coming or something like that. So I'm sitting there and then something Something comes I, – I can see the, the underbrush. I can see something moving. And when you see some – when you see a new animal or anything new that you have never seen in your life, it's really hard to put it into perspective because you don't have anything you can base your knowledge on of what that animal is because you've never seen one. So I'm just sitting there, and I can smell this, and then all of a sudden I can you know smell that musky smell, and I see something coming out. And I'm talking like I'm talking maybe 40 yards from me. I see a bit something really dull, you know, like looked like wet as a dog because it was because it was raining. But what the only thing that I, I recollect, you know, what it reminded me of 
is um, I thought it was a big, huge um, boar, like a pig, because it had the sunken in eyes that were black and a long snout. I'm like, what is that? Is that a javelina of a boar? And then all of a sudden, boom, my face went from went from what is it kind of excited to freaking out because it was a grizzly bear sow walking through the brush hadn't noticed me with a sow with or with a cub right behind her and she had not noticed me um so that was about brian this is literally only about 50 yards off of the road off of the highway so she hadn't noticed me yet so i pulled out i pulled out my pistol and pointed it right at her head just so she just so you know when she did see me that if she was gonna if she was gonna attack me or or come at me that I'd be ready so she didn't see me once I had it in my crosshairs on on her head I yelled hey and I, and I when, as soon as I yelled hey her her cub looked up at me and then she did and then her cub just took off running boom and then the and then shortly right after that the sow did a little like and, and um she uh she like um i don't know what you call it but she was like uh clacked her she was like clacking her teeth kind yeah, of like popped her jaws at you right like yeah, clicking she, her jaws at you she made a weird noise with her teeth and yeah. then like and then uh as soon as she did that she took off running and uh went back towards the highway and um I ran as fast as I could back back to my car, but man, I had literally I was literally on my elk hunting adventure. I had only been at it an hour, and I run into a grizzly bear in a sow. Like the worst possible situation that can happen happened. Well, I mean, I didn't get attacked or nothing, but you know, that that's when I'm like, okay, maybe it is a little bit dangerous and real to just be out here walking around all by yourself <laughs> yeah man that's a reality check for sure <laughs> yeah the first time you dive into the woods right into a grizzly bear i actually like um you know i have a similar story like uh when i moved from the pacific northwest my very first day bow hunting i ran into a sow uh, and a cub grizzly bear and was charged by the sow. Uh, I was with a buddy and uh, he had a 357 loaded with 38s and yeah. shot above the cub and was able to stop the charge. The the cub actually was up the tree when we saw it and um, oh, wow. we saw him and his his pistol was in his pack and he goes, hey, there's a bear, grab my pistol and, and, and he was a Montana native and so I grab his pistol and we start backing up and right about then that cub sees us and it's like a hundred feet up in the tree or maybe 75 feet and the thing just oh, wow. totally slides down the tree just skidding the whole way by its front claws all the way down the tree as fast as it can slide down and 15 feet from the bottom jumps out of the base of the tree and comes right at us and my buddy oh. shot at it and at that time we still thought it was a black bear um, and it was actually like a two-year-old cub grizzly. And after he shot, then the sow got up. And I oh. remember that sow started walking towards us. She never did like charge us, like run at us like the cub, but she started walking towards us. And I remember her whole body was shaking like all the fat in her fur as she was walking towards us. And we were backing up, and you, you've always heard never to run, but right. your instinct in that moment is to turn and run. And the minute I start to turn, you know, I get my composure, and I think, no, don't right. do that. And we just kept backing up with the pistol on her, never had to fire and able to get out of there. But 
it scared the heck out of me. Like that was my first day hunting in grizzly territory, much like your experience, exactly. like above Du Bois in there. Isn't that wild? Yeah, exactly like that, man. And so, I mean, so, so the whole point of, my, of me telling you about this first year is just basically to just get get you a feel for how it was a just complete and utter devastation, failure of trying to do it on my own. But like I said, Brian, I didn't have nobody to tell me what to do. So it was one of those trial and error things. I realized, you know, I was a little in over my head. And also that this, you know, the Wyoming wilderness, Western Wyoming is nothing to play around with. It is dangerous and you do need to have your, you do need to have your stuff together. And the thing yeah. about it was, is, uh, um, so this, where, where I seen this Grizz in, in, in Cub was the turn, was the turn off literally right before Turpin Meadows and that following year um a, a guy um a, a gentleman from Casper from where I'm from was killed he uh, um he was a guide from Casper and uh him and his client um him and his client uh were gutting out or were were field dressing an elk and um I th I believe it was a it was an older it was an older sow with like a, a two-year-old, um, not not a cub, but just a, a, her younger son or, or, or younger, you know, one of her, one of her younger cubs. But it was it was it was a little bit older. And um, yeah, man, it, it it killed him. So it was just literally right down the road from where that happened. Um, and he rest in peace, man. It was a devastating story that that happened. But um, yeah, man, I remember that one. It's gnarly. Uh, um, yeah, we've definitely had a few attacks around my area too. It's it's nothing to be messed with, you know. And the the first priority yeah. of figuring out how to hunt is how to keep yourself safe back there, how to rely upon your wits and rely upon your wood sense and and keep yourself safe from those bears and also build confidence. And now that you're this many years into it, mm -hmm. I, I bet you I bet you've got real comfortable with being in the woods and and being around nature and and paying attention to what's around you. But that's that's a huge part of it. And heading out and having that failure like it's it's tough to learn or it's tough to shorten the learning curve without a good mentor that's already figured some of this stuff out or figured out part of the game or can take you to good spots like you're starting from absolute scratch you know yep. which which is going to be more meaningful when you do figure it out but don't worry like you're not the only one i when uh, my backpacking the way my dad taught me we pack cans of coke in you know we we you yeah. know we pack frame packs and way too much weight and i moved to montana and tried to backpack and i remember going in with you know 75 pounds or so and you know dang near killing my hunting buddy in there that had to leave and um packing eggs in and everything else but you know like experience is the best teacher it, it's just nice to shorten that learning curve and not have to always learn things the hard way but yeah man that's gnarly running into a grizz bear your first time out yep and so the next year so after that brian i i mean i i fiddled around a little a little bit after that you know but i i i didn't have no luck i didn't even see any elk or anything like that but um during that off season that year i decided you know i am really going to study i mean learn um educate myself up i'm going to save money and so that whole during that whole off season you know i started gathering up good gear you know you know, I bought my first actual pack. My first pack was an Everly stock, just one. I, lo I, that, I love that pack. You know, it was a, it was a really, um, uh, I, I, that pack got me through a lot, man. I put my, I put a lot of stuff. It's a big pack too. But, um, 
so yeah so that next year i'm like all right next hunting season i'm gonna do this right and then also um brian i started i started playing the um i started playing the the lottery system with the tags and, and so um that next year i i actually drew um a I drew a later season um, special special permit, you know, um, limited quota unit, but it wasn't until late season, and it was in a front country unit. But I really wanted to get back out there in Western Wyoming into the back country stuff. So um, it, I didn't, I didn't care, you know, if I didn't have a tag. So this is how much I really wanted to go. It kind of sounds crazy, but um, I still wanted to go. In, um, in September, uh, but I I couldn't I couldn't general hunt because I already had a tag, so you can't get a general tag because um, I already had a limited quota for later in the season. So what I did is um, I saved up and I had llamas reserved. So I think I got I had uh, four llamas reserved, and I had I had um, you know camp all set up everything was bought and everything was ready to go i had the llamas i had the place picked out um and and basically how i went about picking my first trailhead brian is um i i had one buddy um tell me you know he's like this is where i've gone you know with my dad before um on horseback so he's like i you know i don't know how you'll do on on foot or whatever but you know you you might be able to do it so i'm like all right you know i'll try those two the first trailhead I went and scouted in the summer, and um, I didn't I didn't see much, and it, there was a big huge um, burn in it, but it was like a really devastating burn. Like there was nothing; it was just rock. There was no grass, no nothing. So that one was a dud. So the next we just picked um, the the next I had the the trailhead adjacent to it picked out. But here's the thing, um, so. I didn't have a general tag, but I still wanted to go. And if that meant like just finding a buddy that I would say, basically I was saying, I I, I was saying, Hey, I have llamas. I got all the gear and I want to go hunting. I want to call in elk and I want to, you know, I want to bugle. I want to do the whole archery thing, but I don't have anybody to go with. So I got on one of the hunting groups and said, um, or one of the hunting Facebook groups and said, Hey, you know, I have llamas. I have all the gear. I was just wondering if anybody um, that has a general tag in Wyoming would like to go with me and um, go on this little adventure and um, use llamas. And um, I had a few guys respond back, but then um, an old buddy that I had that I hadn't really reconnected with in years, he he hit me up and was like, "Dude, I'll meet you there tomorrow." <laughs> So, cause this was right at the, like, we literally, um, like I w I was, I had a guy, I had a guy in mind that was supposed to come, but he backed out, you know, so he, he, he backed out at the last minute. So I put this, um, this ad up and basically an ad and my buddy, Justin hits me up and said, man, I'll, I'll, I'll come, I'll meet you up there. So he said, awesome, man. So God, I, I love the hunting community and, and what a great step on your part is you're just walking me through like your hunting career in the last six years and the knowledge that you've gained. Like, like this is a good move on your part. You're gaining experience even though you don't have a tag and, and that can go for like a, a scouting in the summer that can go for shed season, 
hunting season, hunting a different hunt dates than you're used to. Like you said, your tag is later and you're hunting earlier during the general season. This is just a, a great move on your part, Dave. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, man. So um, I just wanted to go and, and he went and got himself a general tag. And I said, look, man, I, I don't, you know, I, and he, he doesn't have a whole lot of, he didn't have, he never killed an elk before either. And I said, look, man, um, I've been practicing calling. Um, I think I could get it down. I, I felt pretty con. Well, now, Brian, I'm, I'm pretty. Well, now I can t- I can honestly tell you and be confidently say, Brian, I can call in bulls like nobody's business. I can tell you that right now. Right now I can, but back then I had pretty good confidence in my calling skills. Um, so we, he met me at the trailhead. We met up. We got the llamas. Um, we met at the trailhead. We got all loaded up. And for some reason, you know, I've never been on a backcountry um, backcountry hunt or anything like that before. But something in my I had no idea how far to go or anything like that. But something in my head said, you need to get in there eight or nine miles. I don't know. I just picked that. I, something, you know, just randomly eight or nine miles. And so I said, okay, we're going to go eight or nine miles. And, um, you know, you, you always hear guys, you know, I hear it a lot on a lot of these podcasts, like, oh yeah, we woke up and we did, uh, we did 16 miles the first day. And I'm just like 16 miles. Like, Okay. I don't know if it's just like, cause I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, Brian. Um, and we did, well, we had the llama, so they kind of slowed us down, but we went about nine. So we went nine miles the first day. Nine miles that, in the mountains is a long ways, isn't it? And takes that, a long time to walk that far. And, that and like I think it's hours. just miles are really tough to judge. And I think some guys estimate it. Uh, some guys go off GPS, uh, you know, you're also walking up and down those hills. It's just like a, like a crazy tough metric to measure. And sometimes like in, um, you know, I know on, uh, uh, some of my, my elk hunts and like more of the, the broken open country, I tend to do more miles, but, uh, uh, that elevation is a killer in the mountains and, and, and eight, nine mountain miles, man, that's a long ways. Yeah. So even with the llamas. <laughs> Like all we had was the t-shirts on our back. Man, was that nice with them llamas. That's all we had to carry was the t-shirts on our back. But um, so this area, it's a drainage system, Brian. So um, the the trail basically runs alongside of of a river, of a creek. And so you follow that creek. And then the thing was, is like when we we finally got to mile eight and a half, nine. But it was weird because we weren't in like typical elky country. What it was is we were falling alongside the the river system, and then it was a canyon. Like so, on both sides, it was high sloped up, and it was all heavy timber. And in between the river and the timber, there was some open country. So I open yeah. So it was untimbered, open country from the river up to the timber line. But it wasn't like you could glass very far or anything like that. It did not look like elk country, but we were beat. We were like, man, this doesn't look like real good country. I mean, because you were pretty much um, – it felt like you were almost trapped into that one area. But so we set up camp. We set up camp, and uh, it was it was getting pretty late. So, I mean – we set up camp and by the by the time we were done it was you know it was it was prime time so all we did was um climb up out of that out of that uh, cuz we 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 uh, camped way down in there at the at the bottom of the river and then we hiked up we just climbed up above our camp you know about oh shoot 50 75 yards and uh, 
I just we we started glassing and then I just started hitting the bugle and and locate location bugles and start trying cow calls a little bit of mixture of both, and I think I started cow calling and bugling for about 45 minutes, and then you know it just seemed like ah uh, yeah when yeah, <laughs> I'm so used to not seeing anything that when that first bull popped out I was like oh there's one there's one there's one coming so on the other we were on one side of the canyon where the river was and i started calling and here comes a bull on the other side he comes out of that timber just trotting out like looking like what the heck? who's doing that who's doing that you know and so he comes all trotting out pretty nice bull and then um so we got him on film we were super stoked and um and uh but once that bull scene you know that we were on the other side i'm like there's no way that bull's gonna go all the way down into that bottom of that river and then jump back up and come to our other side he's not gonna do it so once he's seen where that the calls are coming from the other side he uh he moseyed on back into the timber but we just all of a sudden bulls just started coming out the woodworks brian like we started spotting them we started spotting wallowed, you know, mud-covered bulls up above, like at the very top of the ridges, and then they were, they were like, um, uh, like there's little teeny little holes in between the timber. We'd see bulls, you know, passing right through there. Man, saw- you guys were in the party, like, um, you yeah. know, elk hunting is so all or none. They're so nomadic in the way they use mountain ranges and use features. They move through country, and so sometimes you walk into the best elk spots and don't see elk, but if you keep putting forth effort, eventually, like you just come across an area where there's a lot of elk and elk like being around other elk. So you were in the party, like every opening and little shoot and slide you could see, there was bulls coming out, they were bugling, there were cows around, like you guys were in them. Oh yeah, man. So, um, I mean, they weren't they weren't being uh, very vocal. I mean, we got that first that first bull to he bugled twice. I think that was about it. But they weren't super vocal. This was September. 20th yeah so this was september 20th so it was it was it was prime rut but um so it started getting dark and then we decided man we need to be on that other side in the morning that's where we need to be so my buddy Justin was like i don't know about you but i'm we're killing a bull in the morning we're killing a bull he was he was super confident he's like do you think those he's like how far do you think those uh those bulls will go tonight i'm like oh they ain't going nowhere they'll be there they'll be there in the morning so we woke up that morning and uh first light you know and i cracked like like within five minutes brian i I, that first bugle i cracked off very first one boom respond and we got response from like three different areas i mean we got one from back where we were at we got one from over there and then um so i was working one one bowl that was kind of in the distance but then i looked to my left and so there was a huge meadow like a huge opening I'm talking like from where we were at, it was completely open, and he came out of the timberline um, about, I'd say like 500 yards. You know, a lot of people say it's hard to call bulls um, to you in an, in an open field area, but that all of a sudden I look to my left, and here comes a bull just running in across the open field. He's coming right to us, and so um, uh, Justin got I – I, I had him set up right behind a, a dead stump, and then I got about, oh, I'd say about 75 yards behind him and uh, maybe not that far, about 50 yards behind him. And I just started hitting that. He, he was coming to cow calls. So I just started hitting that cow calls. And, Brian, it was it was just textbook. You know, I mean, he came in and I, I called that I called that bull into 
Justin said it, it was probably about 10 yards. I called him right to him, just basically right to him, 10 yards. And uh, he went out of my view, but all of a sudden I hear him shoot, and I just heard that gnarly slap, you know, pick. And, that, and uh, he nailed him. And I couldn't see, you know, I couldn't see very good. And then I see the bull pop up and I was yelling, I'm like, did you get him? Did you get him? And then I noticed that that, that bull made that um, coughing noise. Have you ever heard him cough real bad when they get shot? Mm -hmm. You know? And so he started coughing and then uh, he tumbled over and dead bull. We got our first bull. So my second year, it wasn't me that had the success, but, you know, it, it still felt really, really good. To, oh, killer. Um, you guys did have success. Yeah, you went in there, uh, found a bull and killed a bull. It wasn't your tag, but, you know, man, that's a team effort when you've got a buddy working with you. And, and especially hunting deep in the backcountry like that, like to have a, a good buddy or good friend to hunt with is priceless. So good on you, man. That is a success. Yeah, it was a, it was it was super awesome, and and then we, um, you know, we were in we were in pretty bad. This, this unit is, um, they say, is one of the one of the worst grizzly units in in the state, and um, we we seen a lot of tracks, but um, we didn't actually run into any. But um, we made sure to, to to get that bull taken care of real quick, and we got out of there. Um, yeah, Brian. So I I um I want to tell I want to I want to speak a little bit about because I know we, we do have. We do have a time limit, but one thing I do really want to talk about is um, uh, I kind of want to let the audience know, you know, just a little bit about my experience and and um, and, and and you know the trials and tribulations that I've been going through. But so after that, you know, I had a um, is when I started. Um, I want I want to talk about this very last season, this 2000, 2020 season. But in between those seasons, basically what happened, I'm, I'm kind of skim over that but um my my wife started getting in the game and she lucked out um she, she lucked out one of those years and um she drew a primo really good um one of the one of the desert units you know a lot of guys call them the desert units but i call them the, the prairie rolling hills units in the, in the central part of in the, the central part of wyoming mm -hmm. um so she grew she drew a really good tag um kind of near where i live um, and we had no idea how to hunt it. So we were, we were basically hunting in the wrong places where there were no elk. Cause I didn't have nobody, you know, to say, Hey, that's not where the elk are at. But we, we basically finally found the elk at the end of the season. And, um, we had about three pretty decent call-ins where the bulls came in <laughs> and one of the bulls that she almost got a shot on that year. Um, somebody was in there in September hunting lions with hounds and right as I'm calling in a in, in this bull in the distance all you hear is hounds barking and uh that elk or that bull heard those hounds and took off so Brian we had a couple unsuccessful years we were just trying to get after it um we had some action um we learned a lot about that unit and uh we always said you know it was it was tough it was real tough drawing that tag and and not not feeling um not feeling it so um 
you know. Man, just to add to that, like really good units can be tough as well. Like they're okay. tough even for the most experienced guy because even though they're a quality unit, there's quality success odds there. There, there's elk in that unit. Like you say, you'd never step foot in there. In me, always in a new unit, you have to start from scratch and be able to to figure it out and figure out where the elk prefer, where the elk like, and where they're not. And it seems like you got to make some mistakes, and it it just seems to eat up days just trying to learn a unit it's so tough to to show up in a new place and be totally efficient and effective and and it's one of the skills that i've really worked at is to be better at but you know to 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 be honest like when you get to spend multiple years in a unit you know then you have these good spots that you can count on and so it makes sense what you're saying like i'm definitely disappointed that you guys didn't fill out but in the end, you learn so much about that unit that if you ever draw it again, you could go in there and have a really good chance of success. And and that what I did, Brian, because we had um and we had a couple or a year, either as a year or two years in between. But what I what I do, Brian, um how I how I my little system and strategy to learn a unit is there's a lot of super good units in Wyoming. You know, years or units that take non-resident guys um, max points. Like this particular Man, unit. Tell me about it. I'm up here in Montana. I'm still trying to get one of those Wyoming elk tags. <laughs> yeah, they're tough on us. Yeah, so this particular unit, it, it takes max points to get for non-residents. Um, and um, the thing about it is all these, you know, the, these primo units that people look at, you know, they're the glory tags. But – thing about us residents that a lot of guys don't get is hey anybody can go in there and, and buy and purchase a and or draw a cow tag anybody it's almost pretty much what it's i think it is 100 percent. so what i do right is and in these units i will i will put in and get cow tags for these areas and i i don't take a cow tag or i don't take a cow hunt any less serious than i take a bull hunt i go at it just as hard if not harder actually the first cow that I killed in this unit was the hardest hunt I've the most hardest I've ever worked in a hunt out of any hunts that I've ever hunted. And I was successful, but man, that's um, really cool, Dave. Like that's, um, you know, that's a success, another success in your elk hunting career and, and taking those cow tags seriously. Like you get to gain major experience hunting for those cows. Um, you know, the, the area, the same, yeah, you get to go in that area, get to learn the area, but you also get to learn elk and elk behavior, and you still have to get close and and kill a cow elk. I I just think that's another super solid move on your part to shorten that learning curve and build that that elk hunting skill. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, from you you know how it goes when you have a cow. I remember when I had that cow tag the first year. When you got a cow tag, you know how it goes. All you see is bulls. So I was seeing bulls everywhere. So I basically had it figured out where all these bulls hung out at. And, I, you know, I had it down on my Onyx, you know, where all the these little sweet spots where these bulls, I would see them all the time there. And I was learning what they were doing while they were there. I, I learned where they bedded. I figured out, you know, what section of the ridges they like to bed in, what time they got up, you know. So I had a lot of knowledge of you know i was going to say you know once we draw a bull texas unit we're going to be freaking prepared i'll tell you that so um and i did i i i was successful with the cow um two years two years in a row with the with the cow in that unit but finally in um in 2020 um i remember we me and my wife we took a vacation to uh we took a vacation to san francisco and we were just hanging out and it was um 
it was uh, I think it was June June thirteenth this year, and I, I went went there to go check check the draw results, and I start I started jumping up and down, screaming, hollering. I'm like, you drew your tag again, you drew your tag again. Oh, I was so happy. Um, and she and she was super thrilled. She was super thrilled. So oh, she's got that lucky. Uh, I think some people have like a n- lucky name and birth date that seems to pull up, you know, uh, more frequent than other people's. It, it just seems like people are lucky in the draws, but it's but good on her. <laughs> yeah. So she was super excited. Um, and I remember I was just like, we are going to be prepared. And I mean, we, it, I, Brian, I just looked. Every single day that went by in between that time, that was all I thought about. Every single minute of the day, that's all I thought about. Um, so how this how this um, how this season started off is there's one area that's super close to home that I know of that it's it's um, how I how I work this area, Ryan. Is there's an area where I hunt boundaries a lot because it, it's a, it's a limit. It's, there's not a whole lot of access. There is a lot of private, private ground and it's not a huge unit, but it's a great, you know, a great quality, great quality unit. But there's an area where these bulls hang out in, and I've studied these bulls for years. So I noticed that they all come back there in late November and they're there all through the year, but I've noticed, and it's an area that you can drive to, and like literally, if I went there right now, I could, I would see bulls. It's one of those spots where I, I know every single time I go there, I'm gonna see bulls. But they're on a hill, they're on a huge hillside, and that hillside that they're on is private. And then the hill comes, the the hill or the mountain comes down and flattens out into flat sagebrush country, and right at the base of that hill is the public land boundary. So um, I always thought, I'm like, man, it would be super cool. I wonder if it's possible to call a bull in from the private into the public. So the year before that, I went in there when I didn't have a tag in September. I was just playing around. I didn't have a tag. But um, I called a bull in from the private about 700 yards into the public right next to me, you know, to about 40 yards. I could have killed him dead. You know, so I thought that was cool. So that made it possible to say it is possible to call a bull in from that private onto the public. So, but the thing is about it, Brian, is those bulls, they're, they're always in there in bachelor groups. So they're all in big, huge bachelor groups and, and then maybe some singles. But the thing is, is those bulls are only there. The latest I've ever seen them there is September 7th. It's like after September 7th, they just vanish. They're gone. Um, so we went in there on September 4th. And um, just like how I thought, you know, we started calling. And uh, we were we started calling these other three bulls that were up on the hill. And they, they weren't really interested. They looked up a couple times, threw out, a, threw out a bugle here and there. But when we looked to our left, here comes a bull working his way in. But it was almost last light, Brian. So... Um, by the time that bull got to us, I mean, it was still legal, legal shooting light, but I think we had maybe like, I'm talking like 11 minutes. I think I counted until, until it was illegal shooting light. And, um, if by the time that bull got to us where it, it got to 70 yards and I said, can you see, can you see that? Can you see your, your, uh, your sight? And she said, she said, um, she's like, I can barely see the, the, the yardage or the, the, the pins. Cause she, um, 
so I said, if you can't see, don't shoot. She's like, she's like, okay, I see my 50. I see my 50. I said, all right, well, you can do it. Then like, you got it. And then right before I even said, I didn't even think she was going to shoot. She shot. But like I said, it was pretty, um, it was pretty dark and I heard it, Brian, it hit just that, that same noise it hit. Um, but it sounded like, and from what I could see, it looked like a direct shoulder, a shoulder blade hit. And it, and that bull didn't even seem like he was hit. He kind of just, he didn't even trot off. He just walked off. But, um, I was studying or glassing it to make sure I could, um, mark where it was going, why she was trying to get another arrow knock. But, um, and by that time it was dark and, uh, we marked it and we went back there the next day and all we found was two stinking drops of blood, just two. And we spent that whole day and then the day, and then we called the, cause he went back on a private. We let that landowner know, um, if they did find a bull in there that, you know, that it was, it was going to be ours, but only two drops of blood. So it kind of, so that was the first, um, real bad defeat i mean it's fun but it, it that sucks you know yeah, it's happens. a bummer right it's like a really like the coolest encounter close encounter you can have but when you have a bad ending to it it like taints the experience a touch and and there's just like that shoulder you know i i draw like my bow is 26 and a half inch draw length and i've shot all different weights of arrows and i i just don't get through the shoulder i don't get through the shoulder on elk i don't get to shoot through the shoulder on deer or even antelope i have to stay away from the shoulder and sure there's parts of that shoulder blade that my broadhead will punch through but for the most part i try to aim three four inches off that shoulder but again you're you're in this this adrenaline filled moment you know where you're trying to make a shot and it's low light and i can easily see how an arrow can go a little left a little right i mean heck it can do that under perfect conditions you know but yeah what what a bummer to taint this this awesome close encounter you guys had with that bull but the good thing is is that you know thinking it's a shoulder blade hit is that that bull will be fine you know oh yeah he 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 walked off fine i mean it wasn't he wasn't limping or or anything like that so so. didn't bust the shoulder and then didn't get through the shoulder would have found more blood yep yep so after that um you know like i was telling you those those bulls are out of there um pretty quick after the first week and I, I don't know if you remember brian this year do you, um right on labor day we had that that big huge snowstorm uh-huh so that huge snowstorm hit and that um that um shut the elk down in this unit for quite a while like so that we we weren't seeing much activity during this the snowing days and then for about oh three or four days after that we didn't get much but so the next incident that happens is we left that area and started um started working the way on the or working the area of the main unit and um uh we just were not I this area the reason why I picked this area is cuz I seen tons of bulls there in November when I was hunting for cows. There was bulls all over. But when we went there in the uh, middle of September we weren't seeing nothing. No bulls weren't hearing nothing. We were just struggling. So it's and like they're uh, those elk are nomadic again, right? And so they yeah. use that habitat that you found them in is their post rut place, uh, or it's where the bulls hang out in bachelor crews, or where they hang out together prior to the rut and after the rut, and then uh, like during the rut, they leave those locations and they go find the cows and go breed them. Is what sounds like going on. Is no, going on. I'm like armchair experting it from my couch but just from uh you know the way you tell the story 
No, I think that's exactly what was going on. And then what happened is, so this this unit also, Brandon, it has some of the worst roads ever. They're just treacherous, horrible, horrible roads to get to access this unit. Um, so at this time, I have a I have a, a Ford F one fifty that has a lift kit on it with some big old tires. I bought it specifically for hunting. Um, and uh, one day we were we just got done hunting. We were headed back. To, we were heading back home for the um, for the afternoon, and we were going to come back out. Well, it did, from all that snow melting um, in the roads. They were just it was just creating these huge huge puddles. And um, I remember we were, we were driving on this road on this really bad bumpy road, and the road had a steep steep incline. And then declined really, you know, it, so it went up and then it went down real quick. And at the bottom where, it, where the decline is was a huge puddle. And um, I remember I hit the gas because it was like one of those things where like you don't want to go too fast, but you also don't want to go too slow because you don't want to get stuck in the mud. So I kind of hit the gas and little did I know underneath that water in that puddle was a boulder about the size of a Volkswagen. <laughs> okay, that's a jeez, oh, gnarly. There was a huge boulder in it, and all I remember, Brian, is going up, and then we came down. And what happened is from the bracket, like the little cross member where my axle housing is on my on my lift kit, it just so the undercarriage part just nailed that thing so hard. It was the most loud. What happened, Brian? Is I came down and just went. Boom! And it hit so hard that it deployed our airbags, and it was bad. So the airbags deployed. Oh, gnarly! And, all- and in the middle of nowhere too. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere, the airbags deployed, and I didn't know. You know, I've never had airbags deploy me. But um, your steering wheel, where the airbag comes out, um, it starts. It smokes real bad because something in there that causes the airbags to go, but something causes it to smoke. And then the horn was stuck, so it was like and then smoke coming out and it that and those things hurt too man it hit my um it hit the side of my my arm really bad and then it i right away i looked over at my wife and i said are you okay are you okay she just and she was just holding her wrist a little bit but she's like oh i got my wrist but that was about it so that was i was just so mad at that oh my gosh well it's it's like one of the unspoken things about hunting is like, um, man, we are tough on our trucks and tough on our gear, and there's so yeah. many gnarly roads out there, and an accident can happen just at the snap of the fingers. But, man, it sketches me out on late-season hunts, like uh, icy roads, steep roads like that. Um, and it seems like we're always pushing the limits with those vehicles you know, just to try to – to access remote country, you know, or just to be able to get around. But that's gnarly. I've, I've, uh, I blew up a transmission in one truck, um, and had to limp it home in like safe mode, like 45 miles an hour. Uh, usually it takes me five hours to get home. I think it took me about 10. I was able to drop it off and, and, uh, get it fixed. So I have blown up one transmission and been stuck quite a few times and in some hairy situations, but, um, nothing like that, man. That sounds gnarly. Yeah, so luckily, you know, I thought something was completely messed up. I'm like, great, we're stuck here. But luckily, I just turned, you know, I just turned the key over and it ran and was fine. So we drove out of there, but um, I just went real slow. But as once I got back, once we got back home, 
I started looking underneath of it and realized there was all kinds of crap bent underneath there and leaking. So I, I basically cracked my axle housing and um, to fix it, I'd have to get a brand new lift kit, about $2,200. So that thing's sitting in my driveway, just done. So there's my next struggle. Now it's the middle of, it's the middle of archery season. We got this Primo tag that takes years to draw and we are vehicleless. We do not have a vehicle to finish our hunt. So I, um, how we dealed with that one was, um, luckily, luckily my parents were kind enough <laughs> to lend us their, um, to lend us their, their four wheel drive, um, Chevy avalanche. So they had a Chevy avalanche. Um, we arranged to go pick it up and they used one of our vehicles. And so we were good to go again. And then, um, be, so before that incident, Brian, we were just doing weekend hunting, you know, just kind of hitting on the weekends cause it's not far from home. But, uh, starting the 18th, we both took, uh, six days off of work. And even though we can drive back home every night, we wanted, we were going to stay out there the entire time, you know, not messing around six days straight hunting, get after it. Let's do it. Um, so we were struggling to find elk. Uh, we were struggling. We were running into a lot of pressure. We were struggling to find out. Well, um, luckily, on one of these Facebook groups I belong to, there is a, a really, really cool gentleman. I, you know, I'm not going to mention his name just in case he doesn't want to, but he was a super cool guy who um, messaged me. He's hunted this unit for years. His family's hunted it for years. He's taken lots of bulls out of it. And, Brian, I cannot explain to you how generous and kind-hearted and so cool this guy was man what a good human being that's so that's so great to hear like somebody reached out to help yeah he reached out and he i'm not i'm not joking when i'm telling you he took us to his family's honey holes like i mean him and his family his grandfather his his uh brother-in-law i mean they were hunting just right above us and he said and he took me he met us um, he met us three miles in and, and, and took us down into this area. And this was an area completely different from where I, an area that I didn't even know in, of this unit even existed. And there was no pressure here. Um, so it was just a super cool honey hole. And so we started, uh, so we were back on the elk, Brian. We were, um, he, he, we went back, we went down in there and, uh, that first day, um, we, we just started, I mean, we, we seen herds of like 200. It was, it was, the, it's this area that has a huge overlook. I, I mean, you can see for miles and miles and, um, there is just literally herds everywhere, just different herds everywhere. Where all and the we, cows like to be, huh? Yep, yep. And so, um, we went down below and I just started hitting the bugles in the morning. He's like, yeah, they'll come in from this way. They'll come in from this way. And just like he said, like, you know, after about 20 minutes of calling, here comes a bull, you know. And and, um, and basically to sum it up, Brian, for that first, probably that first morning and evening, we were calling in a bull probably every 30 minutes. And I think I called in seven or eight bulls uh, that first day and a half. But what would happen, Brian, is – so, like, I would call in a bull, because there's bugles all around. They're everywhere. And then all of a sudden, you'd get one to commit. And um, this was another situation where we had to call the bulls from private onto public, though. So what would happen is we would get a bull. Here he comes trotting across this op open area. And she set up. Um, 
my lady Trudy, she's all set up. She's good to go. She's not nervous. I'm super proud of her for keeping her composure because here comes this, this first bowl that came in. Um, I want to say he's probably around three, three thirty, three forty. ivory tips coming in, coming in on a dime. And then, um, just, just this scenario, you know, you think he's coming in and nothing's spooking him. The wind's right. And then just for some reason, no reason at all. I have no idea. He just decides to, instead of coming straight at us, just for no reason, just decides to cut off the opposite way and just walk the other way. He just, he, he didn't even like stop and hesitate. He didn't look spooked. He just decided to walk the other way. Never seen him again. Just stuff like, stuff like that is what, is what happened for about two or three different bulls. Man, and they, they do like, um, you're in a good spot where they're reacting to your calls, but they, you know, I do tend to find that then when they come in on calls, they're on pins and needles and not because they're always looking for a hunter or looking because the situation doesn't feel right, but they're just nervous. They're in pins and needles. They don't yeah. see those elk. They don't see the elk making the noise, you know, and, and also, you know, they are older age class bulls, especially like a 330, 340 class bull. He's been around the block a time or two, you know, so when he comes in and he feels things aren't quite right, man, it, it just seems like situations can blow up real easy and i remember when i was real committed to calling and calling an elk you know it's like i I may only get a chance at five different elk and, and every one would just be like god he came in at forward facing i didn't have a shot or right. he came in and, and he he pinned us right there and didn't come in any further or like you say came in and took a different trail and then we never saw him it's just like they just have a knack for making the right moves and keeping themselves alive Yep, and and it was and that's and really Brian, you hit it on the head there. That's what happened with this area, and and that's you know that's where I struggle a lot too because you know when you're un, when you're unsuccessful for for years in a row and you got bulls coming in, you're on them. Like you just realize, you know, I, I remember thinking like, man, other guys, other people who are better hunters than me would probably would probably capitalize on this situation and would probably get it done. And you know what, Brian, it's crazy. I even thought about you during that time. I'm like, you know, if Brian Barney was here, he probably, he would, he would kill a bull. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I'm like, he would kill a bull. So I was sitting there like, what is going on? And, and there really wasn't much you could do at this certain area. Cause like I said, you ha- we were trying to call them. We were limited in on area, but you're exactly right, Brian. You hit it, you hit it right on the head. Those bulls would come in. And they would, there was a spot that they would hang up on every time because they would be looking for the sound and they couldn't see it. And that was spook, and that was what they were not having any part of. And uh, so I said, we man, we got to, we got to try and change up our technique, try and move a different spot or something. Yeah, well, but, and you guys were doing really good. You guys were into elk. You're calling, interacting with them, and like you say, you're a little bit handicapped by the 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 terrain in the country because you are calling them off uh, the private onto public you know so you're a limit a little limited to where you can call from and man it's just like um it's always trying to learn from those situations and scenarios and get and getting better at it and exactly like you thought like what would brian do like i've been in the same situation like asking you know god what would randy ulmer do here what would you know what, what would some of the greats do in this situation you know and it it does just come with experience, but I think, you know, and the only thing I can add is just to try to come up with really smart setups. When I was calling elk, I did really good when I'd call from where they wanted to be. When, 
you know, they're headed a direction and I beat them to that saddle and make some calls at the saddle or, you know, I'm able to see which direction they're headed and kind of move in front of them and almost set up before I'm able to make calls. And then also calling them in, especially with two people. And of course, it's always common knowledge to scoop back the caller. And that definitely helps, you know, when you can make that situation work. I know, you know, with my dad, we made a lot of those those situations work where I could scoop behind them. But it's also trying to use that landscape as like a buffer, like trying to call from just the backside of the ridge to where that bull's got to commit to that spot and come in just a little bit further, you know, or calling from inside the timber or not on the meadow and not telling you any new information, you know, just my, just my insight as you're walking me through the season or whatever. And, And the truth of the matter is, is like, you only get so many encounters. You only get so many chances in a season, no matter how good you are at locating elk. And so you're right in that you do try to seize those opportunities and you want to be great in those opportunities, but also know that those elk are really good and have really good instincts and they're just going to win a lot of the times. And they win a lot of the times on me too. You know, it's like, um, you know, I don't always make the right moves or close the deals on them either. Like I, I fail as well. And then I, I try to learn from it, you know, whether it was the wind or where I called from or how that situation blow up and how can I be better next time and and that's exactly right Dave is man you're just trying to be at your very best when you create one of those encounters and I'm sure throughout this season you know just like you were you were telling the story and then you said hey we got to change tactics this isn't working like that's yep. like that's that that critical thinking oh, yeah. that kills elk you know it's like come up with something else come up with another theory and man these things and these hunts that I get on, a lot of times, like it feels impossible to me when I'm on them. But, you know, I've had enough success and I've proven myself that I can do it. And if I keep working hard at it, I know I'll create an opportunity. And it only takes me a handful of opportunities before eventually I'm in bow range and put a perfect arrow through one, you know. It's like, so I have this belief in myself and belief in my skill set because I've done it before. And you're just on the cusp of that, you know, it's like as you just get a couple bulls down or a bull down, like you'll have more confidence in those moves and you'll start to figure out what's working for you and what isn't and almost come up with like a a game plan now of when you locate an elk. Now, here's the sounds I like to make. And this is where I like to set Trudy, my wife, up in front of me over a hill. And now this is the situation that I'm looking for is with the wind coming this direction. And this is the time of day, you know, I know what these elk do now and here now i'm going to get in front of them in their feeding feature and make a couple cow calls or whatever the situation you know i i'm I'm just trying to like uh uh like i say armchair quarterback it from from my own couch and listening to your story but but just something i'd interject so go ahead keep going oh no man i i take i gladly take in all all that brian all that um and yeah exactly like you said every every you know like you were saying you know it was pretty cool that area because just like you were saying, you don't get a whole lot of encounters a year. And we were getting multiple encounters in those days. So every single one of those call-ins was just that much more experience I was getting. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that was like almost before that, that was like two, three years of experience wrapped up in a, you know, in a day and a half. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So I was taking it all in. I was learning, you know, I was learning the bull or the elk's behavior, what I was doing wrong. Um, so after that, um, we noticed, uh, we noticed a, a, a really decent bull that 
way, way up on top of a ridge that you could glass, you know, one of those things that you could see real far away. And he had about, oh, I think he had 17, 17 cows with him and he was just one bull by himself. And so I hit, I just started bugling like really, really loud. And I had no idea that this bull could hear me, but I think it was maybe from the wind, but I was bugling as I was glassing. And then all of a sudden I noticed that bull perk up and he just starts sprinting down the hill, like way, way far away. He just starts sprinting down the hill. I thought something spooked him. I'm like, holy crap, what's that bull doing? Something spooked him. But then I realized he had all of a sudden heard me and he was coming after he did not want a bull he did not want a bull close to his cows and he was coming to figure out what was going on or to fight. He was sprinting down that hill. So I'm like, that bull is coming. He, and he's coming now. So we, um, we go, we, we jump down and we get set up and jump down off that, off this point that we were at to go meet him. And, um, in between, in between that bull and us was a huge timber patch. So we hurry down there and get set up in the timber patch. And I'm thinking, you know, we got this bull, he's coming in. And then, um, and then just, you know, out of nowhere, nothing happens. I start bugling, you know, cow calling a little bit, nothing happens. He didn't come. I'm like, man, that sucks. He didn't come. So we go back up to our point where we were just at and I glassed him and he must've, you know, he must've realized, uh, yeah, I, I didn't think he was going to leave his cows. I'm like, that's crazy. It blew my mind that he'd leave his cows anyway. So I'm like, that bull must've figured it out. He's not going to leave his cows. He went back to him. So we started working another bull that was real close in the area and um, this bull had one of those gnarly, raspy bugles. I'm like, that sounds like a big bull, and he's coming. So we basically uh, – we couldn't see him, but we heard him coming. So we went right back down into that timber where we were going to meet that other bull. And um, all of a sudden, here comes this bull about 70 yards walking out of the timber. I'm like, get ready, get ready. Here he comes. Get, get ready. And um, – he walks into about 50, and she's just about to shoot. And I said, whoa, whoa, hold up, hold up. And I noticed, Brian, that this bull, he was a big, nice bull, but he had he only had one antler. So he only, uh, I, was, I was just like, wow, that bull's only got one antler. And so I'm like, do you, we're sitting there talking. I'm like, do you, do you want to shoot this bull? He's only got one antler. Or do you want to wait on that other? We'll go up there and get that other bull. And at that time, that other bull that we had, just had an encounter with was really hot so during the time that we were debating that that bull smelled us the one antler bull smelled us and spooked and took off um so i mean looking back now i think of course i think we we, we should have shot it <laughs> but the cool thing about that bull is that that buddy that showed me that place his older um, grandfather who's in his I want to say late 70s maybe even early 80s killed that bull during a rifle so I thought that was really cool um, but Brian here's where the story takes a, here's where the story takes a turn um, what was I going to say you're still there aren't you Brian yep I am yep okay. um, so yeah here's where the story kind of takes a little dramatic turn um, we that bull that came that had the cows that was um, up above us that we thought was coming down towards us. Uh, we decided we wanted to, it started getting midday. So we decided, you know, let's make a play on that bull. Cause he was, he was up on private, but I thought if we hike up and get to the left of that air, cause there is a, there is another patch of timber 
probably about 250 yards from where he was at. So I, and that was on public. So I thought if we got into that timber patch and in a little ways back, it would put us, um, uh, if he, if that bull came to us when he heard my bugle, when we were like, you know, a half mile, mile away or whatever, mile away, then if we get real close to him and he hears a bugle, then he's got to come in. He's got to come in. So we went and hiked up there midday. You know, we could smell elk real bad there. You could tell that area is all rutted up. We ran into a wallow. Um, so all of a sudden we got to the area that I wanted to get to. And uh, I had I had Trudy get set up. She was a little bit in front of me. Um, and at this time, Brian, she was using um, – so we were going back and forth. She uses a bow and she uses a crossbow because she's brand new, you know, to she she's real new to archery and she wanted um she's kind of struggling a little bit with um with being able to pull a bow back. So we went out a couple times with the bow and also she was using a crossbow during that season. This particular day she was using a crossbow, uh, one of the Ravens, really nice crossbow. Um so this day she she had she had the crossbow and I had her get set up. Cause I knew this bull was going to come in. And so when I say set up, we got a tripod. So she had her tripod, she put it out on the ground and then she put her crossbow on top of the tripod and was just sitting there ready to go. And I started calling and here comes the bull. He bugled a couple times and then started, we, we started seeing him, I'd say about a hundred, 120 yards out and I could see his antlers coming in. And so at that point, this is kind of why I, I messed up and I, and I regret it to this day. But once I had a visual of him, I said, take off your safety. He's coming. So she took off her safety from the crossbow. And cause we could literally see the bull physically see the bull. And, um, you know, Brian, sometimes when you, when you set a tripod on the ground, the ground's not real even. So you're kind of unbalanced and stuff. I'm sure you, you, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't balanced, right. And so we were in the heat of the moment. So it wasn't balanced right. So her crossbow and tripod fell over. And um, and this bull was coming in. So she she real quick um, hurried to pick that to pick that crossbow back up and put it back on the tripod. And while she was doing that, I heard it go off. I heard I heard it um, it accidentally discharged. So I heard the <laughs> go off. And the first thing that came to my came to my head was. Jesus, are you okay? I said, are you okay? And all she said, all I heard was she just, she um, pulled her hand close to her chest and said, ow. Um, Brian, it's, um, I'm sorry, it's, um, it's, this was a real traumatic event, so it's, um, bear with me. Sometimes I get a little emotional talking Yeah, about no worries, man. No, I really appreciate you sharing the story, dude. That is sketchy. That, Things can change just at the drop of a hat, and that's with any weapon. I mean, there was a a guy that died from an accidental discharge of a rifle around here, and those those crossbows, you know, that's that's one of the things. Like, I, I mean, crossbow or a bow, like having all those broadheads, they're so dangerous. And those crossbows, they store so much energy at the pull of a trigger, and oh, yeah. so they always make me nervous. And and just like that situation, you know, I don't know, I don't think anybody did anything wrong. And I know you regret telling her to take her safety off, but it was just like the circumstances of events that that went down from you know having the bull come in, tripod not sitting exactly right, you know, take safety off. 
off and then you know as she's swiveling around the you know the crossbow falls off that and discharges and yes yeah, something gets in that string or hand or man that's like my worst nightmare um man it, it happens so quick and you can't have it back you can't change it and it, no. it it just happened so fast so no worries man i uh it it sounds emotional like i can't imagine having your wife there and i can't imagine you know like the like like the guilt that you felt by taking yeah. the safety off even though you know it isn't your fault it isn't anybody's fault it's it's just accidents happen really quick so yeah man gnarly yeah so yeah i i, I can finish it finish up what happened and so and it wasn't just you know she's she's such a, a passionate hunter it's not like she's not one of those she's not one of those wives who you know their boyfriend or husband just drags them along because they want to see their wife hunt no she loves hunting she loves it that's a good and, hunting partner uh, to have yeah and she loves it and she was excited and so when it happened i heard i heard it discharge she um she uh pulled her hand to her she pulled her hand to her chest and just said, ouch, that was it. And so um, I ran I ran over to her. I ran over to her and I said, let me see, let me see. And so because um, I, you know, I don't I'm trying to think of everything that was going through my head. I didn't honestly think that anything bad was going on. I just thought maybe she got a bruise or something. But um, I looked down and um, Brian, so the thumb part, not just her thumb, but like the palm part of your thumb so basically the palm part of her thumb and that where it goes to her wrist was just hanging off by a piece of tissue. It was just almost completely severed and um, it, it was bad. It was really bad. And um, I remember um, I just started, I think I started cussing and uh, freaked out pretty bad. And um, uh, we were, um, we were, three miles back in there. And so at that moment, I just snapped into emergency mode. Good for not you. Over, not overreacting. And um, so I, first thing I did, as I said, sit down, just stay right there. It's okay. It's okay. And um, I just went right to my backpack and just started dumping stuff out. And so I got a tourniquet and uh, I got a tourniquet and wrapped wrapped it around her, her thumb part so she wouldn't um, bleed out any more than she any more than she was already bleeding. And then I I had the um, I had the cheap cheesecloth like uh, gauze style game bags, which is basically like gauze. So I got one of those out real quick, and because um, I, I knew something in my, in me, I, I I just knew that if we can if we can keep this thumb and keep it attached to it and not lose it or anything like that, that, you know, surgeons in this day and century can do some uh, extraordinary things. We're going to save it. So I, I wrapped the gauze around her thumb real lightly after, uh, over the tourniquet and just um, wrapped it up real, real good and, um, and, and then tied that wrap off with, uh, with some electrical tape. And then I sat there and I just held her and uh, just, I just let her know everything was going to be real fine, you know, because um, she was crying, but she was crying. She wasn't crying because she was hurt, Brian. She was the only thing that she kept saying is, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I ruined the hunt." She was just so uh, sad because she thought that I was upset because I ruined the hunt. She's like, "Oh no," you know. She was just real upset about that. And I said, "Don't," I said, "Don't, 
think about that stuff. It's going to be fine. You're fine. And so um, I held her for a little bit, just trying to get her emotions. Okay. And, um, and then I looked her in the eye and I said, look at me. I said, we are going to man up and we are going to hike the hell out of here. You're going to do it. We're going to hike out of here. We're going to get you to the hospital and they're going to save your freaking thumb. Do you understand me? And she said, yes, let's do this. So, um, so we, we got everything together. Um, I left a bunch of crap there, Brian, because I had, you know, it was good for you. Was Emergency crap. situation. Yeah. So I just left everything there and I grabbed her and um, we just started hiking. I grabbed her by the arm. She had to jump. We had to go through a few fences and uh, she seemed I the most the thing that I was mostly scared about was her going into shock. But um, she seemed like she was doing OK. Um, and so, we, you know, we had a long hike back. And and I just remember one of the things. I, I personally was doing okay, but then all of a sudden, I while we were walking, I kind of had a pretty bad breakdown moment because um, I just started having really bad thoughts go through my head. Brian, I was thinking, I was thinking, God, what if, what if, she, what if she would have lost her whole entire hand? And like just horrible thoughts going through my head, like she, you know, what would I have done if she couldn't have, if we couldn't have, if I couldn't get her to hike out? Just horrible negative thoughts are going through my head and I really um I really broke down and um was having a super hard time with it but then I got myself back together again and um we got back we finally got back to the truck and um we rushed we rushed to the local uh Casper Casper hospital and um you know as soon as we got into the, I was doing pretty good and and you know she was doing good she she when we got to the truck she even had she even was she was doing so good she even joked about it and she scared me like I said are she I said are you okay and she like faked like she was uh having like a, a seizure or like passing out I'm like don't do that uh, she, so she had a, she had a good spirit about it but um so when we got to the hospital that was um that was when it got real um, we let we let the emergency staff know what was going on, and they took us back to a room. And the, how it how it seemed like it was so real is when we got to that room, they already had like there was like four or five nurses and a doctor like waiting for us. So they were like positioned around the room, just waiting for us, all set up. And uh, that's when I, I started having a real hard time with it, you know, and um, the doctor calmed me down. And that's that's man, the the the, um, the medical personnel, nurses, doctors man, bless their hearts, because, you know, when when somebody when you or somebody you love is very badly hurt, you know, you want to be treated. You're almost like a child. You want to be comforted. You want to know everything's going to be OK. And and that's what they do. They treat you so they make you feel comfortable. They let you know everything's going to be OK. Um, they were just remarkable of calming of calming her down, letting her know things are going to be OK. Um, so they had the doctor come in and check it out. And the doctor came in and basically said, you know, at this facility, you know, it's so badly damaged and it's such a bad wound that because, you know, a crossbow string is nothing clean. Um, they said the only thing that they could do is amputate it. And um, so she but then the doctor said, um, I can make some phone calls and um, 
I'm going to make some phone calls and I'll come back and talk to you guys. So she came back and said, I just got off the phone with one of the top hand surgeons, top hand surgeons in the Rocky Mountain region to two of them. We got one in Salt Lake City and we got one in Denver and they want you guys or they want her there now. And, and so I said, well, we'll do Denver. You know, we'll, we'll go to Denver. And so I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that meant like, hey, we'll drive up there. They're going to bandage it up and we'll drive up there tomorrow or am I driving up there? No, they meant you're being that we're sending it. We're sending you guys to a plane and you're going to be life flighted there. So they had a pilot and the um, ambulance crew come and take us. And they luckily um, they had just enough room and I was under the uh, I, I was light enough for their weight because they have a weight limit that they said I could go. So. Um, they rushed us by ambulance, via ambulance to the uh, regional airport in uh, Casper. And, I mean, this all happened so fast. And, and they uh, flew us. They life flighted us to Denver. And um, we got to Denver, and they immediately uh, took her to surgery. And, um, you know, I, I was – because I seen the wound firsthand – and I was being optimistic towards her and letting her know it's going to be fine. We're going to save the thumb and everything. But I got to be honest, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't expecting a whole lot of good news with being able to save it. Um, so the doctor came in and he said he thinks he could, he told us that he's pretty sure he can save it. He said there's going to be a lot of tendon work, a lot of bone work. There's going to be a lot of recovery. He's a, he said, you know, he might have to um, there's going to be some nerve work. He might have to take um, uh, skin skin samples or skin tissue from other places. So she and Trudy's never been hurt before. She's never been in surgery before or anything like that. So um, she was really, really scared. Um, but then she went into surgery. I obviously couldn't be there. So I went and got a hotel room across the street. And um, the doctor called me, the surgeon called me about three hours later, and he said, hey, we've got good news for you. Um, we were able to save her thumb, and um, we were able to reattach everything, and she's going to have eventually have full functionality. But the only thing is, is um, on the – so on the backside of her, th her thumb area – uh, Brian, not the in so the inside is the important part. She'll she have all of her nerve, she'll have all of her nerve endings there. Everything will be restored, but on the back side of her thumb, she's not going to have any feeling on that because they couldn't save the nerves there. So I was just so relieved that um, she was able, they were able to save her thumb, and um, so after that, you know, um, we had uh, we rented a car and, and went back home. And that happened, Brian, that happened September 23rd. Um, and um, that, you know, that was, you know, that's another struggle and trial and tribulation that we went through trying to fill our first tag. And, you know, sorry, to, it was needless to say, you know, that was the end of our, of our archery season. Um, she had a, a pin, like a, a, this long pin rod thing in her thumb. And then she, and then after a couple of weeks or a month, she got a hard cast on, and she's such a trooper. Um, and Brian, she was ready to get back out there in November for rifle season. And um, I said, "Look, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody. You know, if if you if you don't want to, you know, 
if you don't want to go back out or anything like that, that's completely fine. But we got back out there in November and we gave it everything we got, but we just we just couldn't make it happen. There was a super, you know, all those areas that I seen bulls in in the past in November, and that's the thing, you know, a lot of it is luck, I believe, because like there there all the areas that we went we went and checked were areas that there I'd seen bulls in before, and there were just no bulls there. We weren't seeing nothing. It was just it was just you know we were just glad that you know um, she was able to uh, make it out of that without losing her thumb and. Um, she's not she's not afraid of archery anymore she's not afraid to to, of hunting anymore but we and and not talking anything bad about crossbows at all you know you just you have to be very very careful with them they're dangerous but um they do scare her a little bit now and um you 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 just got to be real careful with them and if if there's a way for me to lessen the risk i'm going to do that because i cannot go through that ever again so she decided and i decided also that um we uh, we sold the crossbow and uh she's going to um permanently learn um compound bows she she's just going to stick to compound bows now um so she's still in physical therapy um she's working on it still she's um she can't quite pull a boat or put that much pressure on it yet, but we think by this coming September she'll be okay. So, dude, gnarly! Wow, um, man, things change really quick. You you realize you know you we go from talking about you know being successful on an elk hunt, and boy, once you, you your family or your own life's in danger, uh, things and priorities change real quick. Like. Um, yes, we do. Uh, life gets real real quick you know it's like this this hunting it does mean so much to us and we put so much into it and it it's nice to be so passionate and have something like you said you thought about your wife's hunt every single day leading up it's good for us to have those things but um yeah something happens like family like that in the hospital and um unsure things uh um, you know, you did a good job of being a leader, you know, even with the breakdown going out, but being a leader and telling her it's going to be okay dude. the, the power of the mind is, is, um, exactly. you know, so yeah. powerful what you can accomplish and what you can do. And, and in that moment you had to get you two out of there safely and get her to the hospital was goal. Number one, good job leaving your stuff, um, uh, making yeah. it a priority and getting her out of there. And yeah, she sounds like an absolute trooper, man. It's just, um, and I, I'm with you, you know, I don't spend a lot of time around those crossbows. And so therefore, you know, they make me nervous as well. There's so much energy stored in those things. And it's just the cock of a trigger, the bump of something. And, and man, I mean, you know, not only the string and what can get caught in there, but arrows down range and you got both hands can get caught in that string traje- trajectory. And, and just like you, like you can, you can be safe with them. It's just like, I, I just, I'm not around them enough and they do make me nervous and so i definitely see that with with you guys and especially after an accident but um good job being a leader good job for her being tough and mentally tough like a lot of the lessons that you displayed like during that and um how tough is it to sit when you got a family member in surgery and things are you know and 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 you know you know you're prepared for worst case because that might happen but you're also you know you're hoping for the best, and and um, that's that's a really tough spot to be in, an emotionally tough spot to be in, you know, and and that's what's truly important is you know family first and and friends and and um, and, and and living a good life. But man, that that got real real quick. I like a. Yeah. 
man, I mean, go from from trying to do everything to kill an elk and and having a positive uh, uh, season to having something like that happen. But good honor, what a trooper back out in November and you guys were getting after it. Like that's a win yep. in itself. Like to be back out and enjoying nature and not be something that. Um, you know, like uh, around traumatic injuries and traumatic stuff that happens, you know, it it, it can, um, you know, it can ruin you for life on something like that where just all of a sudden she doesn't want to hunt anymore or, or you don't want to hunt anymore and, um, you know, and, and, and would be understandable in those circumstances. But good on you guys getting back on the horse and getting back out there and, and living your best life and chasing those out. And it's just too bad that you couldn't come away with a great big bull and the Cinderella story in the end. Oh, like no. uh, have, her, have her kill one with her rifle there in that late season. But I'm sure you guys gave it your all. And it just again, back to elk hunting, man, it's just extremely tough. Like you fell in love with one of the toughest challenges on planet earth that I've ever been faced with, you know, and it's, it's not only the effort and the, you know, the, the getting here and doing this and finding elk, you know, it, it, it's also, you know, like we said, capitalizing on those opportunities and, and there's a hundred chances to make the, the wrong move. Like when you're trying to, to kill an elk, but for some reason, you know, you all of a sudden the stars will align and you'll just make those right decisions and it'll come together. And and when it comes together, just like with your buddy with that bull on your second year of hunting, like it's magic, man. When it happens, it feels like it's meant to be, you know, and and um, you guys just keep at it. I have no doubt that you're going to see that that first bull and many more to come. Uh, just for your from your love of the game and and the way you approach it and and always trying to learn and then um you got you got a real tough uh a uh, uh, partner you know and your wife that loves to hunt with you you know so you guys are gonna get it done man you just gotta keep after it and and um good on you guys making it through and um saving her thumb and um you know that physical therapy and surgery that isn't easy that takes real bravery and um yeah. sounds like she handled it like a champ man it's just a wild story yeah man and and that's the thing too Brian is like um you know i'm i'm sure you're pretty used to it now and i'm i'm not saying that you know you every time you you do it that is not it's not awesome but you know i look at a lot of your you know every every time i see you see a picture of you with your, because I, I look through a lot of your pictures and I see, you know, a bunch of pictures of you holding up your bowl and stuff. And you've been, you've experienced that a lot. You've got that satisfaction and, 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 and you've, you've, you've had that success a bunch, but, um, you know, like, like you're saying, I am dreaming, dreaming of that day of when that all comes together and I'm sitting there holding up that bull that I have worked and tried and gone through so much to, to accomplish. Um, I, I, I just dream of that day when it all comes together and I know it will, just like you said, I know it will, but that is going to be one of the, you know, besides, besides my son being born, I, I know that's just going to be probably one of the best days and, and one of the most awesome days of my life when it, when it all comes together. And I'm just looking forward to it so much. And, um, I will not stop pursuing, uh, that dream and that goal to feel that feeling and, and to accomplish, um, getting my first, first bull down. Yeah. And, uh, it's the pinnacle of elk hunting, man, and you're going to feel it. 
and uh, yeah, the the only thing I can you know, and and once you find it once, like you kind of find the formula to get it done and to do it over again. But as good as that feeling is gonna feel and does feel, like like the fun is all in the process. It's all in this journey you've had and the hard work and the close calls and and when it when it all comes together, like uh, like I always think back to the to the hunt and like everything that went into it. So enjoy it along the way, and that's also how you get there. You know, when you enjoy it and you love it like you do like i do um it just comes you know you think about it all the time and you try to improve it and um you know we use a you know us as humans our biggest asset is our brains and our our ability you know like they can't they can't bottle heart or you know they like you can't there's not a measurement for it there's not a measurement measurement for toughness or for grit or for heart or for will or you know there there's no measurement there like that's all inside us you know and and um so so like like to put that forth and in, into a goal and then accomplish it man it, it it is a great feeling and um the the funds in the journey man you keep at it there's no doubt you're going to be standing behind a bowl before long well, I appreciate it, Brian. I appreciate it so much. And, um, you know, I appreciate you having me on the podcast today to share my story. Um, I really hope, you know, that that guys can, um, uh, you know, relate, you know, the guys that have been out there, you know, that they're they're on year five or, or year six, year eight, you know, whatever of of their quest of getting a bowl. You know, there's others out there with you and there are people out there trying just as hard. And uh, I just want to say to everybody out there, don't give up. Just don't give up. You know, the reason why you're trying so hard is because you're 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 doing something you love so much and you have passion. And uh, I strive every day to to um, uh, to be to be a, a better bow hunter, a better hunter altogether. I, I strive to, to to be like you, Brian, man, to to, to be as successful like you. And um, I'll continue. I'll continue following you. Um, and continue, you know, just everything you do, man, it, it, it inspires me. And, um, if you ever come up to, if you ever get up to Wyoming, man, I know you're in Wyoming every once in a while, you got my number, man. If I, I would, I would love, you know, I don't know if it ever worked out, but man, I, I, I would love to, to, to join and just to, to watch you hunt one day, man. Man, well, it's, um, it's such a nice compliment, man. I really appreciate it. And, um. Yeah, it it, um, it it means the world to have like uh, you, you know guys that follow on my journey and and uh, get inspiration from it. So man, I just really appreciate it and uh, appreciate all you guys and and uh, it's everybody has a story and it's um it's really nice to hear yours and hear you on your journey and and uh, same as you, I'll be following along to um, see you behind that that bowl this next year man so yeah just just uh keep putting in the work keep gathering that knowledge you know be good when you get those chances at them you know keep yourself you know try to find those elk and keep into elk as much as you can uh you know hit old spots but but still be able to explore and find new spots and new drainages and walk new places and you know doing all those little things eventually it adds up and and the stars align and that big bull is going to go down and uh and, and then always be practicing your shooting, being ready for that opportunity, you know, visualizing that opportunity coming and making that shot. Um, you know, it's like uh, we work so hard to get the shot. And then, you know, like 
Like buck fever's real, man. It's tough to settle that pin and execute that good shot. So make sure you're playing that through in your mind and ready for your opportunity when it does come. And, and you know, you felt heartbreak through that, that bull that was hitting the shoulder. And you know how easy, like archery's a game of inches and a couple inches one way or the next. And, you know, and instead of celebrating and reaching that pinnacle of bow hunting, you're at the lowest low, you know. So, like, like make sure you're doing all those little things, man, because your time's coming. I will, bud. I will. I will. I appreciate it, Brian. All right, man. It was good to connect with you. Uh, thanks a bunch for being on the podcast, and we'll keep in touch. All right, Brian. Thank you. Yep. All right. Bye. All right, guys. That's a wrap. A oh, wild story at the end, wasn't it? Like, man, those accidents just happened so quick, and those crossbows have always made me nervous. I'm. I'm sure it's just like all that energy stored up in that thing, like like ready to go at the hit of a trigger or the bump of something, you know. But, you know, I'm I'm sure there's a safety protocol with those like anything else, and you could be safe and accidents happen really quick. But, um, yeah, just wild to to be put in that position or that situation. And and um, man, guys, got to be thinking about that for sure. My my duct tape, uh. Uh, first aid kit doesn't quite cut it you know it's like a work works in a pinch and i you know i just need to i i need to think about that stuff as well and be prepared for any situation that arises because um you know stuff happens really quick so anyways fun conversation with dave fun to talk over elk challenges too and like um you know just how we can adapt our tactics and and we can all be better and and learn from these situations so fun conversation man i got a bunch of good podcasts coming up for you guys i've been recording some really good ones um so yeah super psyched to get those out got some good bear information coming your way i'm gonna sit down and record that solo podcast and um i'll also record that one for youtube and we'll put it up and um so you can watch it there so yeah it should be a good one I'll uh, just hit record and um, start ranting about. Uh, well, no, I'll do. I'll do better than that. I'll make a game plan and then uh, hit play and hit record and um, go for it on a solo. So those are all always fun to do. And um, yeah, uh, people always tell me how much they like those solos. So yeah, hopefully I can I can remember how to do it here. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank Mountain Archery Fest. Uh, again, just a great way to sharpen up on on your shooting before season. They have those mini MAF events in April here and then the MAF festivals uh, that are coming up. So make sure to get booked and get your tickets for those. I also want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. They're building that, that entire optic kit that I'm using from my 11x45s to the 15x56s to that... 27 by 55 by 80 scope just building great glass great optical performance uh range finders um they also have their 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 scopes and um so be building up that rifle and getting a new scope for that thing so super excited to get familiar with that and um man that's a wrap that's a podcast so uh, be on the lookout for that next solo uh you're interested in listening to the other fly fishing specific podcast, Eastman's Flycast. Uh, I got on Dylan Ness this week. It's a great one. We bro down after we just did this big adventure trip uh, to this to this river and um, caught a bunch of good ones. And so it's a great podcast to jump into if you're interested in in that. And um, man, that's a wrap. That's a podcast. Thanks you guys for the support. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll catch up soon. <laughs>